This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. Again, I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss the state of nursing care. With me to discuss the topic is Dr. Barbara Erke, who's the Vice President of Academic Affairs at the School of Nursing at Indiana Wesleyan University. Dr. Erke, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Dr. Erke's bio is, of course, posted on the podcast website. On background, nurses today numbering over 4 million represent the largest segment of the healthcare workforce, nearly two-thirds of whom practice in hospitals and another 20% in ambulatory care and community health centers. Not surprisingly, since nurses provide the majority of direct patient care, adequate nurse staffing or appropriate nurse-to-patient ratios significantly contribute to quality outcomes. Nevertheless, researchers report on average 20% of nurses' time is spent with patients due to, among other factors, increasing administrative responsibilities. Absent adequate nursing care, patients are subject to a long list of adverse outcomes, both non-fatal and fatal. These include pneumonia, sepsis, nosocomial infections, wound infections, and UTIs, shock, upper bleeding, UGI bleeding, excuse me, adverse drug events, pressure ulcers, falls, longer hospital stays, failure to rescue, and 30-day mortality. Dependence on nursing care has only accelerated in the recent past due in part to pay-for-performance or pay-for-value models that tie health care payment or reimbursement to quality performance. With me again to discuss the current state of nursing care is again Dr. Barbara Erke. So, uh, Barbara, with that um, as background or intro, uh, leaving aside for the moment how nurses spend their time, uh, there's been for several years, if not many, a nursing shortage. What's explaining this? Oh, there, there is a nursing shortage, and there is a um, hospitals in all across the United States are really ramping up their marketing and trying to get get enough nurses. One of the one of the reasons that there's a nursing shortage is that nursing is difficult and it's tiring. It's hard work, but the the benefit on the other side it is very rewarding. Um, I think there's a graying, we call it the graying of nurses. Mm-hmm. Um, a few years back when the economy went down, nurses decided to stay on longer and now they're they're uh, they're retiring out. I think for the younger population, the great uh, there's a there's so many more opportunities for people in well-paying positions, and so nursing is still one of the you know kind of the one that a lot of females go to. But what we're finding is that there are nursing the men in nursing the percentage is going up as well because it is a it is a fairly well-paying position. So I think there's a combination of People, there are nurses that are wanting to work part time or have a work life balance. And so, gone are the days people are going to work five or six days a week as a nurse because the younger population is looking for a work life balance. So, there's a whole series of reasons for that. It's also very hard work. 
Okay, thank you. I did see projections, and most of my research for this was AHRQ's research, that by 2020, uh, there's a projected shortfall of upwards of 800,000 nurses. You did mention the work is difficult, and that uh, causes me to ask the question about burnout. Uh, that's a substantial problem. I did see survey data showing 40% of nurses were dissatisfied uh, with their jobs, and I'm assuming that's, again, because of, as you described, it's hard work? That is, but the lack of respect at times for the nurses, at at times the lack of um, understanding what the role of the nurse is. It is the role of the nurse is really to be there and provide excellent nursing care and prevent all of those lists of things that you read at the very beginning as uh, adverse effects. The role of the nurse is really that. And there are patients who um, want, you know, could you heat up my tea? Could you bring me a hot blanket? So they don't understand the role of a nurse and they look at them more as somebody who's there just to help them with their personal comfort when that's part of our role. But the main role is to prevent those adverse um, effects of being hospitalized, being sick, um, from happening. And so it, it, it's a juggling, ba- um, juggling act of keeping the patient content, the physician's content, and the care being done, the high, the high level of care that has to be done for the very, very... The people who are in the hospital these days are much sicker than ever before, and so it's really a very high level of care that is provided. Yeah, I'm glad you made that last point. I was going to note, uh, as they would say, acuity acuity is up. So there are sicker patients, and that makes sense relative to we have an aging population. And also, hospital stays are shorter, so the care is more intense. Um, So it's a compounding uh, factor. I mentioned um, in the intro research that shows how many hours or minutes or percent of time uh, nurses spend in actually providing direct care. The research on that is pretty thin. It's pretty limited. So the one study I found on 20%, I actually found another study that said it was less, but that was nurses in another country, Australia. I just generally mentioned administrative burden. But what explains the fact that the shortage is compounded by the fact that nurses are doing other things? What are these other things nurses are having to do these days? Well... They're still doing within their scope of practice of nursing care, but staffing ratios, um, doing all of the administration of we have to do med requisite um, reconciliation, so you ought to make certain what the patients took at home, what they're going to go home on, that's all reconciled, that's a very labor-intense, and I've not had to do it, I haven't been in the hospital setting for that particular area of work for a while, but what I hear is it's a Getting somebody discharged is a very time-consuming, maybe a two-hour process to get them discharged. So if you have three discharges on a day and you're responsible, that's that's getting them discharged and making certain that everything has been recorded and reported and done and the technology that's involved with it, getting them set up for more appointments. So uh, when they talk about direct patient care, uh, and I'm seeing the same thing in another report that I recently read was about 40%, but direct patient care um, is that really one-on-one where 
that is not the role of the nurse so much anymore is doing direct patient care. Gone are the back rub, rub days when um, I started. Everybody got a back rub at night. Those are gone. Then that was patient. That was direct patient care. So now it's more managing their appointments, all of the people coming in and out of the room, making certain they're in the right place for their appointment with physical therapy, occupational therapy, whatever therapy they're having. And so it's much more as a kind of navigating a big dance and having everybody working around the patient, but it's not always direct patient care. And your last point I'll pick up on, care is now more team-based, so there's a coordination uh, issue or problem that nurses oftentimes have to juggle. Uh, and we do have data on Medicare patients see on average so many patients or have a hospital visit, and during that hospital visit are attended by uh, so many clinicians. Let, let me go on to training. So you're at a university, you train uh, nurses. So the question is how well or not is a training meeting the demand? And we do have also an issue of we are training uh, different uh, diplomaed nurses or they're getting different skill sets and higher uh, degrees uh, relative to uh, their nursing training. Well, um, we would like to say that we're educating every nurse to provide care. We have a bachelor's program of nursing education um, to provide generalist care, not a specific um, OB nurse or a specific critical care nurse, but we do a a generalist. Um, It's a four-year, very intensive program, um, and is our demand. uh, We have limited clinical settings. Um, we have limited clinical, I mean, limited faculty. So there's a whole host of factors that kind of um, stymie us to expanding the more for more students. Although recently we've had a um, donor come forward and want us to grow by 25 students each year for the next four years, and he, uh, this person is scholarshipping um, the students. And so uh, we are in a growth mode, uh, but it's the clinical setting and all of the the faculty that we need that are that are signing some of the education that's going on, and about um, 40 to 50, even higher percent of students coming in for an initial degree are already imagining they're going to become a nurse practitioner or a master's prepared. So gone are the days that people say, I'm going to become a bachelor's prepared nurse, and I'll, I'll do that for 10 to 15, 20, 30 years, and then I'll get my master's. Now it's, I'm going to do it and I'm just going to go continue right, right straight through um, to get my master's in um, primary care, um, in family nurse practitioner, psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner, or administration or something like that. So the younger, the, the students coming out of high school coming to us are already planning their post-bachelor's degree. And that's, a, so they're moving away from necessarily bedside directly into being a primary care provider. Okay, thank you. I did read, and this was some, I think, National Academy data, that you mentioned of nurse practitioners. Uh, that field has, has, has boomed uh, in a 15-year in a period, 95 to 10. Uh, they note that there have been a, a doubling in the number of nurse practitioners uh, in primary care, uh, per your point. So let me ask a uh, follow-up. The growth in nursing is estimated from the data I've read at 6%. However, the demand I've seen as high as six times uh, that amount. Um, I'm, I'm doing a, an interview coming up with a foreign-trained 
uh, physicians who, in, in background on that, I was amazed to the extent that they uh, staff uh, the physician workforce in this country. To what extent is that the same in nursing care that uh, the U.S. is using more and more foreign trained nurses? Um, there is some of that. There is not, I don't believe, as much as there is foreign trained physicians. Um, there have been times in history where waves of people have been brought in, um, travel nurses, but they're really not travel nurses. These people actually are coming from another country to work. And so that term travel nurse doesn't actually work, but they're, they're being imported um, to meet critical needs. And so, yes, um, that has happened and that probably will um, ramp up. And one of the locations that many come from are is the Philippines. And the reason is a couple different reasons. One is many of them are, are fluent English speaking. And the other is they can take um, the, the, the NCLEX RN test um, on site in the Philippines, at least at one point. I don't know. I haven't looked recently. But so people could have their pass their NCLEX for the United States and then be able to be to move to the United States to fit to fill critical needs. And where the critical needs are are often the rural areas. A lot of, you know, the, the metropolitan areas probably have a little bit less of a, a demand, although we're seeing a demand everywhere right now, but it's the rural area, um, a little bit more rural, uh, maybe a little less pay, uh, but it's the rural area, especially for um, nurse practitioners, family nurse practitioners, um, they're meeting a critical need in rural America um, and in um, under populations without enough um, healthcare professionals. And so they, the nurse practitioner is really filling a critical, that critical need. Yes, thank you. And in fact, if you say or identify a rural community almost uh, axiomatically, it's a health uh, service shortage area as defined by HRSA. Um, right. They almost go hand in hand. It's the same for foreign trade physicians in my research. They, they also fill moreover that role in the rural community um, similarly, let's let's let me try to get at this issue of the changing role of nurses. You suggested it by those now that have uh, are prepared at the graduate level. They're doing um, maybe more management work, less direct care. But how do you see the role uh, of the nurse uh, uh, changing in the in the clinical practice setting? Particularly, as I mentioned, we're moving to these models that are pay for performance, pay for outcome or that, in fact, the provider has put at some financial risk if they don't achieve a certain outcome. And that, in sum, to answer the question in part, uh, puts nurses more front and center in that they're used more. Uh, and, I, and we do know in accountable care organizations, those that are successful under that model use more PAs, NPs, and CNSs. Yes, um, they're actually using bachelor's prepared nurses as well as case managers um, because when you have somebody in the hospital being discharged, that the case manager manages making certain that they're going to an appropriate facility for rehab, let's say, but then they're also in the rehab facility saying, you know, can you, you know, physical therapy happening? Can we move them out within three days instead of five days so that the affordable, the, the accountable care um, group 
actually is making money. Um, so they're being used in, in multiple ways. First of all, the um, primary care, which is the nurse practitioner, the PAs are being used, the, the CNSs and all. But they're also being used as um, case managers, making certain that ca- individual cases that are at more, especially in the Medicare cases, that are at high risk of not meeting the outcomes that are expected, not meeting the financial um needs of the affordable care, uh, not affordable, I'm sorry, accountable care. Um, so they play a integral role in providing that mid-level between the, the ACO down to the um, in the patient. And so the nurses really do um, play an important role in, in mm-hmm. managing the care, and that's at a higher level. So we bring in a lower, uh, not lower, but um, a different level of person to provide maybe the hands, the, the hands-on care that nurses always did, and then the the nurse at a higher level is providing that management to make certain that the care is being done and all. So it's a different model that's going on, and some some nurses like that model, and other people are going, well, I prefer to be one-on-one with patients. I don't want to be managing you know, case, I don't want to be case, be a case manager. And so I've talked to a case manager recently and it's a whole different life of, of what a nurse has, is used to doing, mm-hmm. but, but it, it's certainly a very valuable role. Okay. We, we have to talk about scopes of practice. Uh, this oh. has been a long standing uh, issue or concern. This is the phrase usually is allowing nurses uh, to practice to, to the extent of their licensing, uh, okay. up to their license. Uh, the problem in part is these scopes of practice vary by state. The one example uh, that's maybe most noted is Kansas City, Kansas, Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, nursing scope of practices differ by those two states, even though they're, they're uh, uh, next to one another. Would, would you say the trend towards... Um, uh, expanding scopes of practice, allowing uh, nurses to do more or less with less direct supervision, maybe more indirect supervision, but that uh, that's trending favorably to allow nurses to use the full extent of their training such that we can alleviate at least the staffing shortages? Well, yes and no. Um, bachelor's prepared nurses are... Um, educated at a certain level, but they will they will not be independent practitioners. So they will always um, be within a, a setting where they're um, monitoring patient care and providing for the needs of of patient care is doing physicals, doing things that are within their scope of practice. Where the scope of practice really comes in is really with the nurse practitioner um, and probably the right with the nurse practitioners, the various nurse practitioners. Um, in some states, they have independent practice within their scope of practice. So if they're seeing patients, they, they have their own independent practice. And they and can they, bill. And they bill. Correct. And then in other states that are... In Indiana, a physician has to review five percent. I believe it's five percent. I'm not a. I'm not an NP, but I think it's five percent of cases or uh, per month or something. You know, the cases are reviewed maybe month, month. You know, well after the care has been provided. So it's more of a 
have you done it or not done it. it it's not really providing better patient care. It's um, just as a way to manage actually sometimes the physician's workload, but they're not giving, they're not being provided independent care. Now, um, pharmacists in Indiana and physical therapists in Indiana can write orders and can do this without having physician oversight. Um, and so nurse practitioners would like, in, across the U.S., would like independent practice just like pharmacists or physical therapists or occupational therapists. And so um, it's an interesting dynamic. I think physicians and nurses have been so interwoven throughout history that they're trying to pull them up, tease it apart is very, is very complex. But I do believe that many states are arriving at that where um, not BSN prepared nurses, but uh, advanced practice nurses, they're teasing out the, the separate roles. They're, they're separate, have separate roles. And I think it will come where more and more there will be nurse practitioners with independent scope of practice. Um, right, right. Their own shingle, as they would say. Yes. Right. Yes, and and I think that's very, I think it's very appropriate if they stay with stay within their scope of practice. But just like the family nurse, family practice physician has to stay within their scope of practice, and not do surgery on their own. For for example, that's the same as a family nurse practitioner, or a, 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 um, I shouldn't keep using the for family nurse practitioner. I should just say an advanced practice RN. That's the term we're using these days. Advanced practice RN. Um, um, the APRN person, um, they could have independent practice. And in fact, we're so tied together, and one of the comments I had made um, earlier in a previous conversation is, in the healthcare setting, nurses aren't even billed, we're not billing for their care. We're billing for the bed or for the room, but nurses aren't recognized as providing care because it never shows up on a on a bill. Now, if visit, um, CT comes in, a visit, um uh, physical therapy comes in or speech therapy comes in, they bill the patient. But mm -hmm. when nurses come in, they're just part of the room slash bed rate per, per um, day. And that takes away from the role of the nurse. I think once we move past that and say nurses are, can be billed for, that makes it a um, probably rec nursing will be recognized as more of a, this is really what, care they're providing in a healthcare setting. Right now, it's, we, you know, we just roll it all together. and We don't really realize all that nursing is doing. Right. You're right. Good point from a billing perspective. They're invisible. They're uh, invisible. Right. Yeah, generally speaking, yes. So my, my, my last question, and I was struck when I looked into this, and this is the question concerning uh, nurses in healthcare management positions. Again, looking at National Academy of Sciences data, 1% of hospital board members are uh, chief nursing officers, and slightly more, 2.5% occupy seats on a hospital or institution board. What explains the fact that, again, nurses provide, as we said, most of the direct primary care at institutions uh, play an important role, obviously, in the ambulatory setting as well, equally important, but yet they're underrepresented. I could say... You know, the reflex is because uh, it's, the, it's the corporate board answer generally relative to women being un, underrepresented. There's a certain amount, obviously, of sexism involved. Um, but 
your view of this, and again, is are we making any progress in greater representation of, of nurses in these uh, leadership positions? Well, I do think we are making progress. Um, my the local hospital here, the um, CEO is a is a, a nurse, and I was down in Dayton, Ohio, with, recently, and there was the CEO. One of the hospitals down there, the CEO is a nurse. So I believe um, nursing is moving towards the CEO. CEO as well. Um, I, as a nurse, am on our local hospital. I'm actually the chair of our local board of directors at the hospital. So we are seeing progress that way. I think it's kind of that thought that nurses are invisible. They're not, they're, they don't bring in funding. They don't bring in money because they're not billed for. And so if they're not, if they're not a financial component of it, then they're not recognized as being necessarily of uh, an advocate or necessarily uh, a voice of what's going on in healthcare. Um, nursing has been invisible for many years. It's a nursing, it's a female profession, like you said, maybe a little sexism in there. But it's just, um, it's just, they've been around for a long time, and so now. I think people are gaining their voice and they're being recognized as the importance of what is going on. Um, and their voice is important for providing care. Um, every role is important in healthcare. And I always describe it as an umbrella. Every rib of the umbrella is important. So the physician, the nurse, physical therapy, all of those roles, if you if one of those is broken, you're not going to have a viable umbrella to protect yourself. So I believe that nurses are going to gain more voices, voice, and it's already happening. Uh, and it they it will be slow probably at time. I, when I lobby down in Washington D.C., I there's always a couple three nurses that are in the Senate or in the House of Representatives, and um, and so I I like seeing that so that that healthcare voice is spoken as well as the physician voice is spoken in the political realm. Yes, thank you. And I'm, I'm running through my head several nurses when I worked on the Hill who served the Congress on the House side. So with that, uh, Dr. Erke, sorry we're at our, our time limit, but I do appreciate this uh, overview of uh, the state of nursing care. Uh, we'll have to revisit some of these issues more in depth uh, at some uh, future point, but thank you for this. Well, you're welcome. It was my pleasure. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.